This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are looking at Jesus' claim to be the true gate and the good shepherd for his sheep. Yeah. You know, one of the things as I got ready for this episode that I wanted to... One of the things I'm trying to keep in front of me that I try to do on a hermeneutical level is... I mean, I've been spending so much time in our conversation just talking about Peshat and that whole conversation and that personal wrestling match now for like three or four chapters of John... But then there's the, I also love to step back into this larger 10,000 foot um, historical thinking about John the author. So there's the story of Jesus and the characters and the story itself. And then there's the intent of the author and that level of conversation. So I keep trying to remind myself, and this lesson in particular, I stepped back and I was like, what is John trying to do? Like, we can probably link our episode again that we did to John uh, in session three. Brent, we'll link that in the show notes. Um, but what is it that John John is writing to a very unique context? He's writing to a church in Asia and Asia Minor, a very Greco-Roman blended family. This like this the Gentiles are coming in. This inclusive. He's writing to a different setting. He has a different agenda. The cultural world around them is different, and that definitely plays into what we're and – I, and I stepped back and I was like, what is John trying to accomplish with this focus on this Judean um, – he's really focusing on the religious and the dangers of um, – this worldly paradigm and those worldly metrics and how our religiosity gets out of control and Jesus is inviting us into another way of seeing things and a heavenly perspective that he's descended with and he's inviting us into because it's going to be, it's going to liberate us, which makes sense. Like what they're experiencing in the world of Asia and Asia Minor, what John is writing to, what he's trying to communicate a gospel to is a world that is a whole new paradigm. It's like something they've never experienced before. And it's opening them up. And I wonder if what John's doing is trying to use that Judean experience to say for all of... Because he's got two different audiences, if we remember the conversation. He's got the Jewish audience, and he's got the Gentile pagan audience. And he's doing something like pretty obvious on the Peshat level with the pagan audience. But he's also challenging this very Jewish audience with probably what they're struggling the most with. Because... The Judean worldview is at odds. That would have been what we talked about with, say, Galatia in session four. The Judean worldview would be the worldview of Shammai. The Judean worldview is typically, it is more Hellenized, but it would typically not be the world of the diaspora that went to places like Ephesus or Pergamum. That would be kind of the opposing worldview to that. And yet it seems like John is leveraging that conversation and opportunity, and maybe I'm missing things. Maybe I'm not quite pulling my details together quite well, but I was wrestling with this. I feel like he's leveraging that undercurrent conversation to say, yes, this is what we struggle with on a religious level, because where God is taking us feels like uncharted waters. It feels like, it feels like, eh, it just makes me nervous and it makes me dangerous. It feels dangerous and it feels like, but but God is going there, and Jesus is the one who's in charge. And like it feels like when I step back and I look at John's intention, 
I go, man, this this conversation actually makes a, a, a ton of sense from what I understand his larger, his flock, John's flock, is dealing with in Asia and Asia Minor. I feel like this gospel would be very instructive and helpful. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, I wanted to start kind of by reminding us of the larger backstory, not of Jesus and his conversation, but of John and his gospel's audience and why he's telling the stories the way that he is. So something to keep in mind as you read through John, wrestle with its implications, interpret those things, keep that in mind. What is John's agenda here? Why is he trying to tell the audience of Asia and Asia Minor that? So that may come up today. We'll see where the conversation goes. That was episode 87, by the way, when we first talked about John, which (laughs) thinking about it now feels like was it really that long ago? And also it feels like an eternity. <laughs> oh man. Somebody wrote me an email this morning and was like, you know, in session one, you guys kind of use this, this kind of language and it's kind of problematic. And I'm like, oh man, you, you have no idea. <laughs> the journey we've been on since 2016, the waking up we've done to the language we use, the way we talk about things that that was a long time ago when we had some of those episodes and we were we were still growing and in a different place back then, weren't we, weren't we, Brent? Yeah, and hopefully still today. I hope. I hope that 10 years from now, it'll even be the same. Just keep just keep evolving. Keep growing. Keep getting better. Okay, should we uh, get into the text? I don't know why not. Let's do it. All right. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, which, by the way, uh, Pharisees is not in the text, uh, but the NIV has added it, I think, wisely, because a lot of people are going to be reading this passage without having any idea of the context around it, but this is a continuation of the conversation from before. There's no, there's no language to suggest that it's a different place, a different time or anything. It's just Jesus talking again. So this is, this is picking up right from the end of the conversation that we had last time. Did they put a footnote in there to that extent that Pharisees isn't included? No. Oh, they didn't. Okay. Interesting. The old NIV didn't have it at all. So Interesting choice, but I I like what you pointed out. It's a probably a good one. Uh, we are going to have a very clear break at the beginning of our next episode when it is the festival of dedication. So the end of this episode is the end of the conversation, and then it will be some other time, some other place after this. It, it is, yeah, it is tricky to follow John and when it comes to time and what he's doing and how much is one conversation, how much is multiple conversations, where are there lapses of time? He just makes that really mushy. And uh, kind of draws out the almost what feels like this long run on, run on story and part of his style. Okay, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. All right, I'm going to stop you right here immediately. A lot of just brilliant, uh, not brilliant, but just a vibrant cultural context here. Jesus is using an image. I think pretty much anybody. In their day, their world's going to be used to. We're going to try to put some uh, some photos and a presentation in your show notes so you can see some examples of this. But a sheep pen is usually an area. It's got like a rock wall. Uh, I think there will be at least, if not all the photos, at least some of the photos that I share in that presentation, it's going to look like a square box. That's almost more of like an inn. I think we've probably even shown those pictures maybe back in session three. We were, we were talking about inns. Um, uh, like what a hotel was like in their world. And, but a part of those ends usually in, incorporated a sheep pen where you could put multiple flocks. Um, we should even link, what is it? Episode 26, where we talked about shepherd 
uh, Brent. Uh, we should link that in there. You could have multiple people staying at an inn. They could pin up their sheep all together, three or four flocks together, um, and they could get up in the morning. They could leave, and all the shepherd has to do is give one command, and only his sheep will follow him because his sheep know his voice, and they they will follow that shepherd, um, and only that shepherd. They will follow no other commands from any other. They will only follow that shepherd, like the the um. It's dangerous, we talked about in that episode, I believe, for a shepherd if he dies without having an apprentice. Because if the shepherd dies, that flock will perish. They will follow no other shepherd because they will follow no other voice. And so you have to have this apprenticed shepherd presence that the sheep have learned to, to follow. Anyway, our point being, they'll be put in a sheep pen. And if if you're not at an inn, but you're in just like a typical sheep pen without lodging or if you're just in a a regular old sheep pen, the shepherd is going to sit in the gate. So he's going to serve as the gate. He sits. So it's a, it's a complete enclosure with one opening, one door, one doorway. And the shepherd's going to lay in that doorway at night because the sheep are not going to cross over him to get out of the pen. And Predators or animals are not going to cross over him to get into the sheep. And so this reference here to the only people that come over the wall is a thief or a robber. This isn't like a random abstract image that Jesus is employing. It should be one that almost everybody in their culture understands about modern-day shepherding. You put sheep in a pen, the shepherd sleeps in the doorway, literally kind of just sleeps with his body in the door, and it's a I would call it a very average sized door, a door like what you're going to have in your house. And that shepherd's going to sleep in that doorway, keeping the sheep in, keeping the predators out. And the only person that comes over the wall is a thief, a robber, somebody that means ill for the flock. So there is some of the context that will set up what's being said here. And is it safe to say that Jesus is probably looking at a sheep pen when he is talking about this? Boy, you would assume so. Like, there's nothing in the text that that tells us that. But the rabbinical assumption, just historically speaking, a rabbi only talks about, he never talks about an abstract image that you're having to imagine. A rabbi almost almost always is talking about something that he's going to literally point his hand over. And so, yeah, were they walking by a sheep pen? But there had to be, in my mind, there has to be something close by that he's talking, referencing. Yeah, and we did see that Jesus, the man was put out of the synagogue, and the the man who had been blind was put out of the synagogue, and then Jesus goes and finds him, and then some Pharisees were with him. This is the conversation he struggled with them. So they're, I don't know. Okay, it's a great point. So he just said in the last episode, he just made the comment, if you were blind, you could see, but because you claim to see, you're actually blind. I tell you, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, it's a wonderful, that's a wonderful point, Brent, that we ought to consider as we wrestle with this story. Okay. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Pretty much tracking right along with everything we just talked about a moment ago. Pretty much all those details perfectly fit. Exactly what you might expect. Would his Greek audience be less familiar with the 
shepherding concept that he would need to explain it like that? I would not think so. They're going to do as much shepherding as the Jewish context, um, probably even more than his Judean audience that he's talking to. Um, it should be a pretty well-known cultural, like we might think of the ways that we understand a lot of cultural vocations, whether it's a barista or a truck driver, and we have a general understanding of the things that they engage in, what that looks like. Fair enough. Um, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And I don't hear that. To go back to the question you just asked, Brent, I don't hear that phrase. Some might argue with this. I, I don't hear that phrase as, they didn't understand shepherding. They didn't understand the figure of speech. They understood the figure of speech, but didn't understand the point that Jesus was making and the point that he was getting at, which he's going to, but I love how you pointed out this comes on the heels of this whole conversation with the blind man where they were like, but where does he come from? We know where he comes from. The blind man's like, what are you talking about where he comes from? And Jesus is essentially saying the same thing. Like, I have to be the, I have to be the shepherd because the only person that would come over the wall would be a thief or a robber, and that's not what I'm doing. So it's like Jesus is continuing this same conversation using this metaphor and this figure of speech about what they understand, what they don't understand, what they see, and what they're blind to. And here they seem to not make the connection that Jesus is making, so Jesus is going to go on to make the connection for them in the next few verses. And I do wonder if there is a little bit of time passage happening here, because... Like there's just this pause where, where we talk about, they didn't understand what he was saying. And then the next verse, therefore Jesus said again, but is this a different day? Like, did he leave them alone to think about this? And then he comes back to reiterate his point. I don't know. It's a good question. It's hard to say. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Okay, so again, the same theme we've talked about before of Jesus saying, I'm bringing you something new. It is not what you're used to. It is not the bait of. You've been, to go back a few episodes, it's not the bait of that you seem to be, but this is, I'm the real thing, and everything that came before me was less real. It was that thief or a robber. Okay, go ahead. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay, so I am the gate or another translation. You said the NET translated it how? Uh, As the door. As the door. So I am the gate or I am the door. There Jesus references himself lying in that doorway. He says anybody that comes in or goes out and will be saved. And immediately, what does all of our theological brains do as Western American Christians, Brent, when we hear that? <laughs> uh, just the general idea of salvation. We immediately start talking about, oh, this is Jesus in reference to going to heaven, which has no relevance to what Jesus is talking about in the metaphor or his immediate conversation. He's saying, <clears throat> if you want to be a part of the flock, if you want to be under my protection, if you want to be saved in that regard— There's nothing in here talking about theological admittance into heaven. If you want to be a part of the thing that I'm doing, if you want to be in my flock and under my protection because I protect my sheep, I sit in the door, well, then you're going to go, you're going to go through me. That's how you are a part of this flock. But if you're going to try to do it some other way, if you're going to try to tell me that I'm not who I say I am and all the things we've been wrestling with for the last few chapters, 
Well, well, that's that's somebody else. That's something else because they're not coming through the door. I am the door. I am the gate. Anybody else that tries to do something another way is, and again, that's not, we say this all the time with John because we're so enamored with heaven and salvation. And it's the only thing that Christians worry about. It's the only thing we talk about. And I keep trying to like split apart without trying to say, no, all those things are wrong, but that's not the conversation that Jesus is having. He's having another conversation about who he is and who's God's people are. And he's not trying to say, if you don't do it this way, you don't go to heaven. That's not the conversation that Jesus is having. He's not having a conversation about heaven. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking, not in the Greek sense. He's talking about something else, about being a part of the thing that God is doing. That kind of heaven, sure. If you want to talk about that Jewish concept of heaven, that present reality, the age to come that is crashing into the age that we are in today, yeah, sure. If that's the conversation we're having, absolutely. But not this salvation, how do you get to heaven? Just we have to reinforce that because we hear those statements and it's the only thing our brain does because it's the only thing we've been taught to care about. So, all right, I think I'm done. We can keep reading. Would the episode about uh, two-part versus three-part eschatology be helpful? Uh, it could, could be, absolutely. There's no reason why it wouldn't be. What episode was that if you can? Oh, Brent, you know, I don't know. You nailed it on the uh, the Shepherd episode 26. That's because you, I'm using it know. to prepare for a sermon coming up this Sunday. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite that good. Oh, here we go. It's episode 105. 105 titled An Explosive Kingdom. Ah, there's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we're also talking about sheep, right? Woo! Oh, stop it. I'm already wound up. I, nope, I'm not going <laughs> to head there. Not going to do it. <laughs> uh, what a, what a okay. brilliant connection. Brilliant. Love it. All right. Um, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I love that verse, by the way. It's such a great little phrase that um, I always love to be reminded of. Nobody takes my life. Nobody took my life, Jesus says. I, even in, even thinking ahead to his crucifixion, I, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. What he does is going to be something that's motivated by love and compassion. That's going to be a choice of his. It's not, it's not taken from him. I, I just like that verse. Go ahead. Well, then I'll read it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Okay, so now when Jesus says all these things, I think when we talked about this in the John episode— the Greek mind hears all these things through a particular lens. When Jesus says, I am the door, that's a statement that would have been made by like the Greek god Janus uh, would be, um, boy, could you go dig up that sermon, Brent, that I I think I preached a sermon on Janus in the Great I Am series back in uh, real life. And I'm pretty sure that series is in the archive. But um, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's probably even a series on the 
we could just link the series if we wanted to uh, for the IM statements. But Janus being the god of doorways, the god of transitions, the god of thresholds, uh, Janus was the two-faced god, um, the god who could who looked both towards the past and towards the future, and he was the god that if you if you were going through a transition. In our in our life, in our world our culture we would say things like graduations or weddings or birth or you know if you're if you're going through a transition it's that it's the God Janus that's going to get you you're going to go in and out Jesus said you go in and out by me well you're going to go in and out in the Greek pagan world through Janus and so instead of Janus you end up getting Jesus saying no 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 it's not him it's me and then I am the good shepherd. Could be a couple different options, but probably one of your best options is the god Pan. Uh, we talked about that with the Caesarea Philippi episode, the gates of hell, Banyas, Panias, the god Pan, and Pan being the god of all kinds of things, sexual fertility, but also the, the good shepherd, the keeper of flocks, was one of the things that the pagan world understood Pan to be. And I think there's probably, Pan had connections to um, Baal worship. It was kind of like the the modern Roman version of Baal worship. And the mythology of Baal had him, I think, every year essentially going down to the underworld, essentially dying. It's why crops and trees and everything kind of in the world kind of dies and then emerges in the spring as Baal is, is kind of like resurrected, brought back to life through his relationship with Asherah or the Ashtorets or I don't even know what the Roman equivalent of that would be, whether it was Diana or I don't know how the mythology worked in Rome when it came to that. But I don't know if Pan was mythologically known for laying down his life for all of us. That's why we get fertility. But again, you hear the Greek person saying, oh, well, I know that. I understand that idea. And Jesus saying, yeah, but your idea really doesn't fulfill you. It's counterfeit because I'm... I'm the real thing. And I see that playing into this. Jesus gives the teaching and it says they he used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand him. And I hear Jesus going like, okay, let me make this more clear to you. I understand you under, you get the metaphor of shepherding, but I'm trying to tell you I'm the guy. I'm Janus. I'm Pan. Or in the Jewish sense, we'll get to that in just a moment, but watch how the, how the, the audience reacts here to Jesus's dialogue the jews who heard these words were again divided and uh once again this is that judean's word uh in this case the net translates it as jewish people not jewish leaders um and they have all of their reasoning in the footnote if you're interested uh but yes that is that is the word many of them said he is demon possessed and raving mad why listen to him But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And again, this is one of those cases with the assumed negative. Yep. And, and, and again, a continuation of that story with the blind man in the previous chapter, uh, there's still, and again, you have that same division of people saying, well, he doesn't match all of our checkboxes and another group looking at the fruit going, man, but I just, it doesn't make sense. It feels to like his fruit seems to line up with a different conclusion so all those kinds of things. Now, we've been staying away from Pardes, Brent, for the most part, and yet we bumped into what I think is a brilliant possibility as a remez. Because when Jesus says, I'm the shepherd, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. Was it NET that had footnotes that talked about, well, that's like no shepherd does that. That's not like, what? what is the reference there? I actually despise the reference, but what was the, they referenced Zechariah 11, but they also gave additional commentary. What did that say? Uh, the, the footnote actually says, for, for a shepherd with his flock, the shepherd's death would have spelled disaster for the sheep. Yeah, going back to my earlier comments about how if a shepherd dies... The flock don't follow somebody else. You can't just put a you know second string shepherd in there and take care of the. They won't follow his voice. They will not follow his instruction. And so the any the, the footnote there probably not one of my favorite footnotes in its entirety. If you look it up, but makes a comment to the extent of obviously Jesus is talking about something else because a literal shepherd do, doesn't do that. And I think actually Jesus's point is a literal shepherd would do that if needed and necessary, especially within the context of his sheep in a pen and being the door and the gate, and you have to come through him. That's all That's all talk. That's all language about a shepherd um, protecting the flock and standing guard. And Jesus' whole point is if you're just a hired hand, listen, you're not going to hang around. You're out of there. But if you're the actual shepherd, you do care and you stay for your flock but the note referenced Zechariah 11, which I thought was just brilliant. Um, so, Brent, will you go back and let's let's look at Zechariah 11. And I'm curious if you will start reading at, say, verse 4. By the way, what's the subtitle say? I, I never talk about that, but what does the subtitle say? <laughs> the subtitle says, Two Shepherds. Two Shepherds. That'll be, that'll be helpful here as you go to read. This is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, Praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. And I can't hear this Zechariah passage without hearing strong echoes of Ezekiel 34. I don't want you to go off and read that one here, Brent, but anybody that wants to pause the podcast, go read Ezekiel 34, remind you of that famous passage about the bad shepherds, the bad shepherds. We talked about it a lot in session three, the bad shepherds who don't take care of the sheep, who get fat by eating their own flock. They only care about themselves. They trample the the weak under their feet. Uh, just review that, because this I can't hear Zechariah without hearing uh, Ezekiel in my mind. But uh, And maybe it was Zechariah. Uh, no, Zechariah should have come after Ezekiel, but I digress. Go ahead and uh, take us back to the passage, Brent. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. Okay, so does it say got rid of, yeah, got rid of the three shepherds. So Zechariah, God says, okay, I need you to go do this prophetic guerrilla theater. I need you to go shepherd the flock, which represents my people, and they're oppressed because my shepherds are not taking care of them. My shepherds, my leaders are failing them. So Zechariah, I want you to go prophetically shepherd this flock. So he goes and he does that. He gets rid of these bad shepherds. He gets rid of them. And he particularly cares for the oppressed. He does what a shepherd should do. And he's going to have two staffs here in this. Go ahead. 
the flock detested me, and I grew weary of them, and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die, and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. And so I can't help. I mean, Zechariah was not written to the world of John, but I can't help thinking of the Jewish world, of the Judeans and the Galileans, the the world of 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 uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem Judaism, and the world of the diaspora, the the diaspora, um, the world of Asia and Asia Minor. This division, like in Zechariah, the division is going to be Israel and Judah, but it's going to be God's people divided, and so he's got two staves, favor and union, and 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 because they don't want to take care of each other, because they don't want to love each other, because they don't want to be the people that God called them to be, he breaks the staff called favor. And uh, let's see where the story goes from here. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. By, any, by the way, anybody that's listening to this, I hope you're catching the the Judas remez from the Gospels. Because Judas does this. How much do they pay Judas for betraying Jesus, Brent? 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Judas realizes that he's failed Jesus. And so what does he do? He doesn't just like emotionally break down and go throw the pieces of silver back to the priests. He, what's our phrase, Brent? It's, It's in the text. It's in the text. Judas goes and does something that's straight in your Bible. And so he goes and he throws the pieces the pieces of silver back to the potter because that's what Zechariah talked about, and he throws it into the house of the Lord. Now, that has nothing to do with our conversation in John, but there's no way we can read that passage and not talk about the awesome remez and how even Judas in his breakdown moment is still thinking text and responding in kind to say, I know my Bible, and I'm going to do what the Bible talks about. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. All right, so there's the division. So now God's people are divided. They lost God's favor. And now, you might even say because they've lost God's favor, they've now lost their own unity. Go ahead. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. Woe to the worthless shepherd that does what, Brent? Who deserts the flock. Is that what Jesus just said he did? He does? (laughs) No, he does not. No, the hired hand does that. But Jesus is not going to desert the flock. So uh, I, I, I have a bone to pick with NET's original idea by quoting this passage. I think they were brilliant and just off on the way that they are quoting this remez. But go ahead. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. Oh, his right eye totally blinded. I didn't even catch that the first time we read that. His right eye totally blinded. What did we just have? The healing of a... Blind man. <sighs> Hot dog. Okay, now <laughs> I'm going back over to John, and I'm and I'm saying, okay, if that's, if that's what Jesus is referencing... What do we see in John in, in Jesus' words here in John chapter 10? Jesus says, 
Uh, let's see here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down, lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says, I'm here to do what God's people failed to do in the past and what, okay, I'll keep reading. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. And who have we, who did we suggest the hired hands were back in session three, Brent? Can you remember? Ooh, did we, do we say the Pharisees or just the religious leaders in general? I think we more implied the chief priests and, but yes, religious leaders. But I think we looked at Judeans in particular. Chief priests, okay. Yep. I think oh, we would have yeah. said the Judean crowd Ooh, okay. would be those hired hands, right? So now Jesus is referencing hired hands. Uh, and the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he the the hired hand, he abandons the sheep and runs away. He's like, that's what you guys are doing. Here's a man born blind and needs help, and I heal him on the Sabbath. And you, you all want to run away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. But the man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I don't think that's Jesus. I just don't agree with the NET's assessment here. I think Jesus is saying, I don't run away. I am no hired hand. I will stay here and defend God's flock and be here no matter what what comes. I have, and then this phrase, I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen. And what did we have? How many shepherds did we have? How many flocks did we have in... In the Zechariah story? Uh, well, uh, was it two different flocks, I guess? Well, it's it's not really two different flocks. It's two different shepherds and one flock that then becomes divided. So we have two flocks. So is Jesus here saying, and I, and I, and I do believe that there's inferences here for the Gentiles. I do understand that. I just think well, we is, too, that why, is that why it has three shepherds? I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not, I've never reflected on Zechariah in that sense. I don't know. It's a great question. But as far as John's reference here, I uh, I I know that the implication here is that it, it has Gentile implications, but I think we too quickly just read that and go, oh yeah, the, fle- the the sheep of the other flock, those are the Gentiles, without realizing that Jesus could be heavily remezzing and referencing the division of God's people and the community of God all the way back in Zechariah, and him saying, I'm here to bring unity and favor back. What has he been talking about? God's looking for my for my. He wants to glorify the Son. He wants to honor the Son. Uh, what? How is John going to end? Glorify, Father, glorify, glorify your name. That 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 that's going to show up over and over and over again. This glorification. And so I wonder here if Jesus is saying, "I'm I'm coming here to bring to redeem that Zechariah story. I'm going to bring favor and unity of God's family back. What was originally destroyed because of bad shepherds." and hired hands is now going to get restored because I am who I say I am. I have sheep from another sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And there were two shepherds in Zechariah, but now there's going to be one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it. Again, that defeats the NET footnote in my mind. Because he takes his life up again. He doesn't lay it down for good. Spoiler alert, Jesus rises from the dead. Only to take it up again. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll let it go from there. But I, I I, loved, hated the footnote, loved the reference, loved the Zechariah 11 connection. I haven't really been doing a whole lot of Pardes work, but hot dog, that's a cool one. And I'm sure our listeners will wrestle with that and make even 
cooler connections as they do. Okay. Well, I think that does it for this episode. That'll do it, I think. Plenty to wrestle with. Um, I do have all of those. We referenced uh, three of our own episodes, plus a, that Great I Am sermon series was from 2015, Marty. It's before, <laughs> before we were doing a podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I put those in there. Um, and then, of course, we'll have that presentation uh, to give you a few ideas of what, uh, what a sheep pen might be like. So you can browse those at your leisure as well so if you want to get a hold of marty you can find him on twitter at marty solomon i'm at eibcb and you can find more details about the show at baymodeception.com definitely check out the show notes for this one plenty to plenty to dive deeper on so thanks for joining us on the baymod podcast we'll talk to you again soon